RTHK News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Sean Kennedy. Tonight's headlines. With the passage of the National Security Bill now imminent, supporters and critics continue to lock horns. Anton Chan calls time on her political life. And the airport authority blames Emirates Airline for the stranding of 11 mainland passengers at Cheklap Kok. Senior pro-establishment figures have spoken about Beijing's authority in imposing national security legislation on Hong Kong just days before a key NPC standing committee meeting, which is expected to endorse the controversial bill. A former deputy director of the Basic Law Committee, Elsie Leung, says Beijing enjoys comprehensive jurisdiction in accordance with Article 12 of the mini-constitution. She also accused the opposition of repeatedly testing Beijing's bottom line, so central authorities have to interfere and handle the SAR's affairs in accordance with the mini-constitution here. Maria Tam, who's a current deputy director of the committee, says in principle Hong Kong has no say on matters of national security. She also dismissed suggestions that the legislative process lacks transparency. We follow the procedure of the National People's Congress, which means that unless the final draft is ready, it is not open for consultation through, for example, the Internet. But as far as the drafting is concerned, consultation has been going on intensively. I don't know how much the Hong Kong government officials know, as far as I'm concerned, because the drafting is still going on, It will be very difficult for anybody to say that they've actually seen the final draft. The convener of the pro-democracy camp, Civic Party lawmaker Tanya Chan, says she's concerned that the national security law takes precedence over the basic law. The national security law, in in fact, is a kind of law that is above uh, the basic law law as well as Hong Kong legislation. So uh, I'm very worried whether um, if there is any cases, including those uh, rare cases, whether the rights and freedoms of Hong Kong people will be protected um, or respected by the law enforcement agency, how they are going to implement and how they are going to um, uh, arrest or charge people is also, you know, all these are my concerns. Former Chief Secretary Anson Chan's political life has come to an end. She says she's stepping back from her civic and political engagement to spend more time with her family. Damon Pang reports. Mrs Chan says she needs time to recover and mourn the passing of her daughter last month. And at age 80, it's time to honour a family promise to lead a quieter life. In a brief statement, Mrs Chan says young people shouldn't lose hope for the future and they should keep believing in Hong Kong's core values in a peaceful and law-abiding manner. The former Hong Kong number 2 says the SAR has been and will always be her home. Some pro-Beijing media had accused Mrs Chan of colluding with foreign forces, saying she could be among Beijing's targets once the national security law comes into effect. Mrs Chan had served as the chief secretary for the last colonial government, as well as the first one after the handover. After resigning in 2001, she became vocal in supporting the pro-democracy movement. The airport authority has blamed Emirates Airline for the stranding of 11 mainland passengers at the Hong Kong airport for five days. Timmy Sung has the story. The 11 people arrived on the Emirates flights from Dubai last Saturday and were hoping to catch all the flights to the mainland from Chaklap Kok. But because of transit restrictions due to the coronavirus pandemic, they found themselves stuck in Hong Kong. 
One agreed to return to Dubai on Wednesday, while the remaining 10 refused to leave until they were eventually moved to a quarantine camp five days later. Reports say one of them has since developed symptoms of COVID-19 and was taken to hospital. An infectious disease expert, Dr. Lern Chi Chiu, said the way officials dealt with the passengers was absolutely not ideal. Dr. Leung, who chairs the Hong Kong Medical Association's Advisory Committee on Communicable Disease, told an RTHK program that the authorities should conduct a comprehensive review of the incident. Pro-government's lawmaker Yan Chen, meanwhile, said the airport authority owes the public an explanation as to why the passengers were allowed to wander around inside the restricted area and put staff at risk for so many days. She also said the airline should explain why it allowed the passengers to board its plane in the first place. In a statement sent to RTHK, Emirates said it had been working with the airport authority and other officials over the issue. You're tuned to RTHK. The time is five minutes past 11. Hong Kong has reported three more imported COVID-19 cases. The latest patients, aged between 7 and 26, visited Pakistan and Mauritania during the incubation period. Now, with a recent surge in cases involving people returning from overseas, health officials are looking at setting up facilities outside hospitals for coronavirus patients with only mild symptoms. Violet Wong reports. The Hospital Authority's Director of Cluster Services, Deacon's Young, told RTHK that the city's hospitals will be under pressure if the number of imported COVID-19 cases continues to increase. He said there are around 1,700 isolation beds in public hospitals and it's going to be difficult to add any more. So coronavirus patients in a stable condition and who are not seriously ill could be treated elsewhere. Asked whether people might oppose the idea of community isolation facilities, Mr Yang said he thinks the public will understand the situation. He added that these facilities will be far away from residential areas. Mr Yang said the risk of the virus spreading would be minimal, as health experts are experienced enough to tell who would be suitable to be treated away from hospitals. On the issue of personal protective equipment for medical staff, the official said the hospital authority currently has about three months' worth of gear and the supply is stable. But he said they are still searching for substitutes for N95 masks, which are in huge demand globally due to the pandemic. The government says it will stop using a public housing estate in Fultan as a quarantine centre at the end of next month so that the first batch of tenants can start moving in from the end of August. Chunyang Estate has been used to quarantine thousands of people since mid-February, including those returning from Hubei province and the Diamond Princess cruise ship. A government spokesman says it understands the inconvenience caused to the prospective tenants, but says the thousands of flats there played an important role in preventing a major community outbreak. He also says the local coronavirus situation has stabilised and a new quarantine facility in Penny's Bay will soon come into operation. The flats in Chunyang Estate will be disinfected and touched up before anybody moves in. A prime commercial site at the Central Harbour Front will be up for grabs in the July to September period as part of the government's land sale programme. Under what's known as a two-envelope process, both the design and the price offered by the bidders will be considered. Development Secretary Michael Wong has promised to make the process transparent. He says the government will release the submitted designs after the tendering process is over. The two envelopes, we've already announced that the allocation of scores between the two envelopes will be 50-50. So basically they will carry equal weight. 
The evaluation committee will be start by essentially civil servants. But still, we are talking about tender and government procurement. So according to government procurement procedures, it will be a panel of civil servants. But we've also said that the panel of civil servants will be advised by outside professionals. With regard to the specific requirements, we announce those when we issue the tender documents. Also to be put on sale in the next quarter are two residential plots in Saikung and Taipo that are expected to generate 160 flats and a commercial site in Tongchong. Police have rejected applications by Eastern District Councillor Andy Choi to stage rallies on Sunday and on July 1st. Officers cited the COVID-19 outbreak and violence in a number of recent unauthorised public gatherings. Mr Choi is challenging the decision and an appeals board will hear the case tomorrow. Australian politicians have raided the home and office of an opposition politician as part of an investigation into alleged Chinese influence. New South Wales state legislator Shalkat Mosulman is said to have links with the Chinese Communist Party. The Labour Party says it's suspending his membership. The Lebanese-born politician's brother, Shoki, hit out at the allegations against him. Uh, he was 14 years old when he joined the Labour Party. He's from the young Labour and very honest. They know him for decades and uh, lately they can uh, they want to move him away the british prime minister boris johnson has warned against taking what he called too many liberties as coronavirus lockdown restrictions are relaxed the government said it might be forced to close some beaches after tens of thousands of visitors descended on england's south coast yesterday Meanwhile, the head of London's Metropolitan Police, Cressida Dick, has warned that officers will continue to disperse illegal parties and raves. Police were attacked while trying to disperse an illegal party in West London overnight, the second such incident in as many days. We've seen large numbers of people completely flouting the health regulations, seeming not to care at all about their own or their family's health, wanting to have large parties. It's hot. Some people have drunk far too much and some people are plain violent. We will be prepared this weekend. We have officers all over London to try to keep the peace and to protect our public from violence and disorder. The Dutch airline KLM is to receive a 3.4 billion euro funding package backed by the government of the Netherlands. The money is intended to help it survive the crisis triggered by the pandemic. Here's the BBC's Theo Leggett. Air France KLM is one of Europe's most powerful airline groups, but the French and Dutch governments both have significant shareholdings. This has led to deep political tensions between the two as they try to protect national interests. In April, France said it would grant a 7 billion euro package of loans and guarantees to the group. The Dutch government's contribution was delayed, however, after ministers in The Hague demanded a seat on the KLM board, a move France rejected. The money for KLM, a mixture of government funding and state-backed commercial loans, comes with conditions, not least a 20% pay cut for its pilots. Sports now. Liverpool are England's earliest and latest league champions. The Reds clinched with the most number of matches to spare and by the latest calendar date in a season delayed by the COVID-19 outbreak. Manager Jurgen Klopp has been widely praised for ending the team's 30-year title drought. Oh, unfortunately, I have no words. It's unbelievable. It's much more than I ever thought what would be possible. Um, becoming chairman with this with this club is absolutely incredible. 
Okay, honestly, I, I didn't wait 30 years. I'm here since four and a half years, but it was, and we didn't have a chance really in the, in before last year when it was the first time that we had the chance. So it's the second year. So it's, it's quite an achievement, but it's anyway relief because of the, of the three months interruption. Um, nobody knew how it will go on. And, um, then you don't know 100% how you will come back. The games are difficult in the Premier League. Each game is difficult. So, um, I only can tell you it's, it's for you out there. It's for you. It's incredible. I hope you stay at home or in, go in front of your house if you want, but not do no more and um, celebrate it. It's, it's all here and it's all here. We, we do it together in this moment and um, it's a joy to do it for you, I can tell you. And now for a preview of this weekend's action in England, here's the BBC's John Bennett. As Liverpool continue to celebrate winning the title for the first time in 30 years, the FA Cup returns this weekend and the last eight is an all-Premier League lineup. Manchester United are full of confidence going into their tie against struggling Norwich. They beat Sheffield United 3-0 on Wednesday with an Anthony Martial hat-trick. Paul Pogba and Bruno Fernandes looked in top form in midfield. Things couldn't be more different for Norwich, who suffered their 20th defeat of the Premier League season earlier this week. On Sunday, Arsenal will be hoping the FA Cup can salvage their disappointing season when they take on Sheffield United in their quarter-final. It's third against fourth when Leicester City hosts Chelsea. And then last but not least, Manchester City travel to Newcastle. City need to pick themselves up, of course, after that 2-1 defeat to Chelsea, which confirmed that Liverpool are Premier League champions with seven matches still to play. As for the Premier League fixtures this weekend, there's a Midlands derby when Aston Villa welcome Wolves. Villa drew against Newcastle on Wednesday, but they've picked up just two points from the last 21 available in the Premier League. Then on Sunday, Watford take on Southampton at Vicarage Road. The BBC's John Bennett. Australia and New Zealand have been announced as hosts of the 2023 FIFA World Cup after their joint bid finished ahead of Colombia by a vote of 22 to 13. Australian forward Caitlin Ford says the legacy of the 2023 tournament will be felt beyond the region. It's going to change the game for, you know, us in Australia and New Zealand, you know, for younger girls and even boys and, you know, players that want to play for the national team, you know, it gives them the opportunity to see it right on their doorstep. And obviously we've seen with us um, having a lot more friendly in Australia and just how much that's grown has been crazy over the last couple of years. So can't even imagine what it will do for the game. You know, Australia and New Zealand moving forward, hosting such a massive tournament like that and not only having us and New Zealand play, but, you know, all the best players from around the world. And a reminder of our top stories tonight. With the passage of the National Security Bill now imminent, supporters and critics continue to lock horns. Anson Chan calls time on her political career. And the airport authority blames Emirates Airline for the stranding of 11 mainland passengers, mainland travellers at Checklap Cock. The news from RTHK. Sean Kennedy from our newsroom. There are many ways to enjoy life, no matter what you pursue. You must know how to resist temptations. Cannabis abuse causes addiction, hallucination, IQ loss, anxiety, and depression. Say no to cannabis and its harm. Back to the newsroom now, and Sean Kennedy. The convener of the pro-democracy camp, Civic Party lawmaker Tanya Chan, told Jim Gould she's concerned that the new security law will be above the basic law and undermine judicial independence here. 
But first, she was asked if she expects the bill to pass in the next few days. Yes, I do. Um, probably uh, like a present <laughs> to celebrate the anniversary, the 23rd anniversary of HKSAR. It's being put forward as a measure to stop acts of secession, subversion, terrorism, collusion with foreign forces, but we don't know any details yet. So what are, your, what are you most concerned about? Um, first of all, um, whether the law, um, or the implementation of law in Hong Kong, I really worry about that. Uh, whether Hong Kong law still um, exists or even um, whether Hong Kong people are still under the protection uh, under Hong Kong law. Uh, because uh, based on the explanation published earlier on, you can see that, uh, that national security law is um, uh, about uh, together with the explanation given by uh, the Secretary for Justice, you can see that the national security law, in, in fact, is a kind of law that is above uh, the basic law in uh, the basic law as well as Hong Kong legislation. So uh, I'm very worried whether, uh, if there is any cases, including those uh, rare cases, whether the rights and freedoms of Hong Kong people will be protected um, or respected by the law enforcement agency. And secondly, as I've mentioned about the law enforcement agency, the law enforcement agency, um, it seems that the uh, office that it's going to set in Hong Kong has a very wide power, including supervision over um, uh, the SAR government. So I really worried about uh, that, uh, um, the, the extent of its power, and thirdly, um, uh, uh, my concern is uh, whether we can safeguard our independence of uh, our judicial independence. Uh, you can see that the chief executive uh, can appoint uh, the judges to handle all these cases uh, without any um, uh, clear guidelines or uh, criteria. Uh, all judges, uh, because this field is a very new field, we have no uh, similar legislation before. So I don't, I, I don't think there is any judges who really understand um, uh, the uh, what's the mind of the Communist Party, and uh, and also it seems that uh, the uh, Chinese government expects the cooperation to not only uh, from the administration. Uh, but also from the uh, from the legislature as well as the judicial uh, the, judici the judiciary. So these are uh, my um, mm. my my worries at this moment. But of course, uh, how they are going to implement and how they are going to um, uh, arrest or charge people is also. You know, all these are my concerns. Many people would say that we couldn't endure another year like last year with widespread violent disturbances, so it's not surprising that the central government is taking this action now. No, I don't think so, because uh, it's so clear that under the basic law, it is our duty, or the duty of the Hong Kong, uh, is the, um, I would say not duty, uh, it's, the, um, it's our autonomy. It's the, it should be, the law should be made by uh, Hong Kong SAR government, including the legislature, going through the normal process, for example, like public consultation, uh, uh, hopefully with uh, uh, white bill and blue bill, similar to Article 23 uh, back um, uh, more than 10 years ago. Um, so, but now we have no idea uh, about the content, and there is absolutely no consultation. Uh, and even the government officials have, has no idea about the content of the uh, of, of the uh, new legislation. Uh, only some representative from the uh, Communist Party or 
from the uh, MPC uh, have the opportunity to speak to the public without any confirmation from the uh, uh, from the SAR government. So all these are very different. And uh, and at the same time, I do believe that after all these years, after a decade, uh, you can see that even uh, with the majority in the legislature, uh, even the uh, pro-establishment camp, I do believe that they they have worries, or at least they have some concerns about the uh, this law, uh, as well as the implementation of this uh, Article 23 in Hong Kong. So all these should be taken into consideration. Uh, unfortunately, the camp, uh, Communist Party or the Chinese government ignore these concerns and uh, and just do in their own way. And uh, yeah, so I think this is. Um, uh, I think the Hong Kong people can have a very clear idea how uh, the Chinese government is going to handle uh, these kind of uh, issues. Do you think that the Pan Democrats, in failing to condemn the protest of violence and damage to property and businesses and so on, are at least partly responsible for this? Uh, well, I do believe that it is uh, the Chinese government has, has made up their mind. And I don't think even the international community, international community can't stop the Communist Party of having this legislation. So I, I, you can see very clearly that if they had, if the Chinese, uh, if the Chinese government has, uh, has determined that this law can, uh, can at least um, uh, monitor or supervise. Uh, not only Hong Kong people, but also the SAR government, they will just go ahead. So uh, without any consultation, or without uh, any um, uh, uh, publication of uh, draft. So, um, so this, is, this is the end of uh, one country, two system. And it also shows not only the impatience of the Chinese government, it's also, um, it sh- also shows a non... It's, Actually, it's the Chinese government who have no confidence in Hong Kong people, and as well as the basic law. The government has dismissed the findings of a U.S. State Department report into human trafficking, which was critical of Hong Kong's efforts to combat the problem over the past year. Richard Pine reports. Hong Kong was downgraded to the Tier 2 watch list in the latest U.S. State Department Trafficking in Persons report. The Tier 2 ranking indicates the SAR fails to meet the U.S.'s minimum standards for the elimination of trafficking, but was making significant efforts to do so. Hong Kong dropped down into the Tier 2 watch list because it did not demonstrate increasing efforts over the past year to combat the crime. The report said observers pointed out that screening mechanisms had been ineffectively implemented and a lack of understanding about trafficking resulted in few victims being identified. The government here strongly objected to the findings, saying they were based on a sloppy and prejudiced basis. It calls them groundless, with analyses appearing to be merely based on hearsay. Only three victims were identified in the more than 7,500 initial trafficking victim screenings that were conducted last year. The government said the reason why few victims had been identified, even though there had been proactive and intensified screening efforts, was because trafficking in persons had never been a prevalent problem in the city. Human rights lawyer Patricia Ho says it's difficult to interpret the government's position as human trafficking is not yet a criminal offence in Hong Kong. So when we're talking about data of people being prosecuted or people being identified, we're not really sure when they will choose to conduct an assessment of a victim and if they do an assessment for what purpose it is. So there's a real lack of understanding on exactly what the Hong Kong government's strategy is on combating human trafficking.
Ms. Ho was among 10 heroes recognized in the U.S. State Department report, the first time someone from Hong Kong received the accolade. She was lauded for tirelessly fighting human trafficking and protecting victims. As the founder of the Hong Kong Dignity Institute, Ms. Ho also defends and advances the rights of human trafficking victims and minority groups in the city. Ms. Ho said the perpetual denial from the government that human trafficking was a problem here was very disappointing. There are multiple reports issued in Hong Kong over the last few years that say that human trafficking and forced labor is a huge problem in many different fields, whether sex trafficking or labor trafficking, whether in Hong Kong private homes or construction sites or the FNB industry. It's a huge issue. And so if they keep on saying that they haven't identified anything, it really you know, begs more questions in, into where that statement comes from. Among the recommendations of the Trafficking in Persons report was for Hong Kong to enact a comprehensive anti-trafficking law. However, the government here says this recommendation is most unreasonable and inconceivable. It says there is a well-established legal framework with over 50 legal provisions to guard against trafficking offences that together form a comprehensive package of safeguards. Ms. Ho says specific legislation is absolutely needed, and the recent landmark human trafficking case of ZN illustrates the point. Mr. ZN, in the center of that whole judicial review, had been assisting the authorities to investigate into the people who trafficked him to Hong Kong and who ill-treated him for four years. Those investigations have been going on for a few years now, and to date, nobody has been arrested. But meanwhile, the court has actually confirmed that he is a victim of trafficking. So this really begs the question of, you know, if they say they have all these offenses, then why are none of them being used to prosecute traffickers? The government said that ignoring Hong Kong's efforts solely because of this seriously calls into question the credibility and objectivity of the report. Doctors have warned that UK officials could be held accountable for what they say was the torture of WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange. In an open letter published in the medical journal The Lancet, more than 200 physicians and psychologists from 33 countries accuse the UK and US government officials of intensifying Mr Assange's psychological torture, despite the world's leading authorities on human rights and international law calling for his immediate release from prison. Mr Assange is currently being held in Britain's top security, Belmarsh Prison. Earlier, Anna-Marie Evans spoke to Tony Nelson, a professor in paediatrics at the Chinese University of Hong Kong, who's one of the doctors who sent the letter. She asked him what his particular concerns are over the treatment of Mr Assange. I mean, it's obviously an incredibly long and complicated story. I mean, it goes back to 2010 when you know, WikiLeaks released the movie called Collateral Murder. And um, and I guess that's when I first got interested in it. So I guess I followed his treatment very carefully. But the letter published in The Lancet today is essentially talking about his current treatment as part of the extradition hearing that's ongoing in the UK. And essentially looking at it from two points of view. One is the risks to his sort of health under COVID-19, being a remand prisoner, not being charged with anything, not waiting any sentence, and yet not being allowed to be released on bail from UK's uh, top security prison. And the second aspect is the ongoing psychological torture that he's being subjected to. And I think many people find it very hard mentally to accept the fact that a mature democracy such as the UK could be psychologically torturing someone. I guess the point of psychological torture 
is that it's not torture light. You know, so I guess we tend to think of uh, torture being sort of waterboarding and having your fingernails pulled out and so on. But um, the UN Special Rapporteur on Torture, uh, Niels Melser, who visited Assange more than a year ago now with two medical experts involved in the area of assessing torture, states very clearly that there was massive evidence that there's this ongoing torture which is happening to him. So, you know, what, what does that really mean? Well, it's the whole process of sort of arbitrariness, excessiveness, this sort of feeling of, of, of lack of control. And, and this is all very well documented in this letter that we've published of pretty much everything that's sort of happened since February, uh, you know, showing the process that's been going on. The sort of initial extradition hearing was held in a, a very small court next to Belmarsh Prison, that, that's in the UK, yeah. That's in the UK. So Belmarsh is like UK's Guantanamo Bay. It's, you know, it's the sort of highest sort of supermax uh, prison. And Assange was placed in an enclosed bulletproof glass uh, enclosure. And he was not allowed to sit with his lawyers. After that first day, he went back to the prison where he was handcuffed a number of times, moved to five different holding cells. He was strip-searched, and he also had confidential legal documents um, seized, which was sort of part of his, his, his lawyer's communication. So, you know, so all of this sort of is massive, excessive process that I think has been very poorly reported in the, the main media. So what, what would you like to achieve with this letter? Well, I think essentially we, uh, you know, I welcome so much that, you know, you're talking with me now that, you know, that we're putting this, uh, you know, into the public domain, you know, that we speak about it more because, you know, I think one of the most surprising things of this, this whole issue with, with Assange is how things have been so incredibly underreported, as I say. And, um, you know, from a journalist freedom point of view, I mean, this should be top priority for media organisations you know, for journalists. And, you know, the big question is why, you know, why is that not so? You know, so why, you know, why is the reporting so limited? Uh, you know, why uh, are media organizations not be behind Assange? Because, you know, what Assange has done is no different to the New York Times, you know, Washington Post, you know, so many of the, the documents that WikiLeaks obtained have been published by these media partners with, uh, with WikiLeaks. Those stories were part of the Newswrap program, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Sean Kennedy from our newsroom. There are many ways to enjoy life, no matter what you pursue. You must know how to resist temptations. Cannabis abuse causes addiction, hallucination, IQ loss, anxiety, and depression. Say no to cannabis and its harms and lead an enjoyable life. Stay away from cannabis. Enjoy life to the full. Call 1-86-186 or send a message via WhatsApp or WeChat to 9818-6186 to seek help. Cannabis is a drug. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December, we'll have moments to Time to take it easy, time to relax, and time to enjoy the best music this side of heaven. Nostalgia with Ray Codero all the way until 1 a.m.
the beautiful green leaves of summer, played by Johnny Pearson and his orchestra. Nothing but the best music for you from now until 1 a.m. with Uncle Ray all the way. And now... Let's welcome the old favorite, Jim Reeves. Just how much I love you You'll never know just how much I care 